Life, life happens with Pimelo Motine. All right, I think we've sorted all of that out now. Dr. Kerrigan McCarthy is a specialist pathologist at the National Institute for Communicable Diseases. She joins me now on the line. It's now 15 minutes after one. We won't be very long with her, but I do want you to start dialing in on 891 Good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us, Dr. McCarthy. Hi, Pamela, and to your listeners, Lovely. good to be on the show. Lovely. The, the line sounds much, much better. Thank you so much for joining us. Dr. McCarthy, let's just start with the news that just came through this week that the newly discovered coronavirus breakthrough drug has just really been seeing some good results. Now, by good results, we're talking 20% decrease in in death rates of people who were under in, in ventilators and so on. Is, is that a significant kind of um, progress? Uh, yes, for sure, um, it is. So um, the good news is that um, this drug um, is called dexamethasone. Mm-hmm. It is a very commonly available drug in um, our number of formulations that are generic, which means that it is inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And um, a trial in the UK, which had a number of study arms, compared the use of this drug uh, with a what is called standard of care. In other words, um, the basic minimum set of uh, interventions or care that would be given to people with COVID disease. Okay. And that includes oxygen and ventilation if necessary and treatment with any other uh, drugs that are necessary to treat other complications of the illness. And what they found was that the group of people who had more severe COVID illness, particularly those who required ventilation, uh, were uh, significantly, or had significantly reduced mortality uh, compared with the group that just had standard of care. Now, dexamethasone is what we call in medical language a steroid drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, and its impact is to reduce inflammation or reduce swelling. And one of the ways that this uh, virus leads to uh, uh, pneumonia and then sometimes what we call adult respiratory distress syndrome and then death is through causing fluid influx into the lungs, into the lung tissue. Mm-hmm. And then this makes it difficult for oxygen to cross from the lungs into the blood mm-hmm. because the uh, the blood... Um, interface or barrier is is full of fluid and by reducing swelling you make it easier for for oxygen to cross into the blood and so um, steroids are a natural choice for clinicians uh, to use when dealing with this kind of clinical setting so before this trial came out um, there was a lot there still is um, at least so since the trial came out a lot of discussion amongst um, clinicians and doctors who are experienced in treating this kind of severe pneumonia as to whether or not steroids were a good option. One of the problems is that steroids have been shown to make certain conditions worse. Mm. And so the last thing a doctor would want to do is make a condition uh, worse through providing a treatment agent. Um, so even in South Africa, our uh, intensivist doctors, as they're known, uh, we're having a rigorous debate about whether or not one should use steroids in this clinical setting. Um, so this trial finding is a very welcome finding, 
um, because firstly it answers the question, and secondly the magnitude of improvement was quite um, significant. And um, the third reason why it is uh, a very helpful finding is because the drug is cheap and widely available. Mm. It's not like some of the other drugs that are on trial. So there's a specific antiviral agent called remdesivir, um, which has shown promise. It was actually developed following the first SARS outbreak. That is a specific anti-coronavirus drug or antiviral agent, and that one requires um, special manufacturing plants and processes that are new, whereas dexamethasone is widely available, um, inexpensive, and thankfully effective. The the antiviral drug, what exactly are its properties? The one, the, the, the more expensive one that's already on trial at the moment. Yes. Um, it, it has specific antiviral effects. Mm. Unfortunately, I, I'm not clued up on okay. the exact uh, mechanism of action, mm. um, but it has a wide range of um, uh, activities that will inhibit viral growth or viral okay. replication um, right. in one or other bio- biochemical way. Um, and so this makes it um, mm. a, a lovely drug because it's targeted against uh, the virus directly. Exactly. Whereas dexamethasone is a, is a um, has a very general load of action. It reduces inflammation and swelling everywhere in the body. It's got my mind completely working over time because I then want to know, since we've seen the COVID-19 virus present itself, its symptoms on children with what people were talking about, inflammation, sort of um, obvious inflammation, and, and the mortality rate of those children was so small, could it be that the first drug of choice was a drug like this? In yeah, treating those um, children, um, I mean the the reason why children have such mild um, COVID illness is is not entirely understood at the moment. Yeah. There are a number of um, thoughts as to why this could be the case. Yeah. Um, it it it's likely to be um, a very simple reason. Um, if, so, for example, one of the reasons is that. The virus, in order to get into the body, attaches to a cell receptor called the angiotensin-converting enzyme, which is a molecule that's found on the surface of cells. Now, as people get older and as uh, lungs get damaged through underlying illnesses, the number of these molecules on the surface of the cells um, in the respiratory tract increases. Dr. McCarthy, let me just, uh, if you don't mind, please, can we just take a quick break? We'll be back with more and so that you can finish your thought and also uh, uh, some calls as well. Call Pimelo Mutine now. I'm in conversation with uh, Dr. Kerrigan McCarthy, who's a specialist pathologist at the National Institute for Communicable Diseases, and we're discussing the coronavirus. We have committed to doing this every single week where we have an update on what the latest drugs are, the latest treatments, and so on. And before we went to the ad break, Dr. McCarthy was busy explaining to us why the mortality rate uh, or infection rate of children is different to the adults. Dr. McCarthy, before I interrupted you, is still explaining... Um, the fact that we're not quite sure why children are less likely to get the virus than adults. But I was probably also asking you about those who do then get the symptoms. We've been told that 
they present themselves quite differently and many children have what looks like quite inflamed um, vessels and, and limbs and so on. And I was wondering whether this drug was used in treatment of those children. Is, is it, would it be a drug that would have been the pref- preferred drug for treating children? Okay, um, so I, I better understand your question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not really clearly understood why children um, get mild um, uh, COVID disease or or even are less frequently infected. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is emerging is a kind of post-infection inflammatory syndrome yes. that appears to happen a few weeks after yes. COVID infection yes. and is characterized by um, a, a, a general symptoms of um, of inflammation and activation of the immune response. Uh, it used to be called, um, and you may well get a new name, the Kawasaki-like syndrome. Mm. Um, I'm not a pediatrician, mm. but in these kind of uh, scenarios, clinicians often uh, are, are um, I think, or consider using a drug like dexamethasone, a steroid, Mm -hmm. to dampen um, the inflammatory response. The treatment protocols for for COVID and and this particular complication of COVID disease are not well established, however. Mm. Um, But you're thinking along the right lines. So can I just ask something? It's maybe a very silly question. When you you describe, you use the term post-COVID, what do you mean by that? In other words, is it post-diagnosis or how, how do you define post-COVID? Like, because I think you've just said post the, the infection itself. Okay. Um, yes. So um, uh, COVID disease um, happens with a, uh, or presents with a classic uh, symptoms of, of a cold and flu-like illness. Yes. Um, but in children, uh, weeks afterwards, okay. a, a different syndrome occurs and that what I mean when I say so, post-COVID. So that, I mean after. That, that would be after the actual flu-like symptoms have gone. Is that what we're referring yes, to? that's correct. Interesting. Um, but I do need to stress for your listen- listeners that this is incredibly rare. Yeah. Um, not very well documented um, uh, sure. globally and only very few cases in, in South Africa. Very interesting, so, yeah. I'm it's not something that we need to yes. walk around with um, and, and watching out for. Yes. Um, with any degree of uh, concern or vigilance. I, I understand. Okay, I did ask the lines to be opened, and 0891 is the number, 104207, and I'm going to ask you other questions as well, Doc, but let's just take some um, some questions. One from Jesse, who's calling us from Mpumalanga. Jesse, thank you so much for calling. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and how are you? We're well. Go ahead with your question, Jesse. Okay, ma'am, my, my whole topic is on COVID-19. I'm going to try and hurry up. Yep. I am not one who is against immigration. Let people with the knowledge and know-how come in. But my problem is the people that come in illegally through bribery, walking through the river. Our president and government is trying its utmost to guard us against COVID-19. Now I ask you a question, they, and this is happening at thousands of places where people sublet the outbuilding to foreigners. Are you with me? 
I am I'm, I'm, I'm with you and I'm not with you, Jesse, because this is the doctor that's on the line. He's not a government official, right, so she's got better. no answer. Now it will be better because I've climbed up a hill. Okay. Bye-bye, now, Jesse. Bye-bye. Let, Let's take a voice that, note. That, Jesse, we don't have an hello? answer for you. Can you hear me? Why are you putting me off? Why are you putting me off? Jesse, the doctor's not a, a government official is what I said. Sorry? I said the doctor, the, the guest on the line is not somebody who's here to answer government official stuff. She's just a no, doctor. No, 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 no. All right. Just let me quickly make my point. Mm-hmm. Right. The people in the outbuilding are not registered. I, they will never go for COVID testing. It makes a mockery of our president's effort to look after the people of South Africa. Do you get my point now? I do get your point, but I'm saying I don't have an answer for you, no, neither does the guest. That's what I'm saying. Right. You understand. So uh, there's a feather in the cap for our uh, president that these outsiders are inundating our schools, our charity organizations, our church places of prayer, and now we're running ahead of the COVID-19. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's just go to a voice note. I don't think you need to worry about answering that, Dr. McCarthy. Hi, Pimelo. It's Kamakarasi Outlem from Jinokana. Let me ask the doctor about the taxamizol. At the higher concentration and the lower concentration about the side effect. And Airshore is 100% working. And so where do they manufacture it? And why other countries they manufacture it? They refuse it, but it came from UK. There's a shining again about this taxamizol because it has a mixture of stereotypes. All right. Doctor, did you get the question? I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to give you time to think it through, but did you, did you get the question? No, no. All right. What I, what, I, what I will do then, what I will do then is that we'll play it again when we come back from the headlines uh, and so that you can just get, get the question. I'll also listen to it while we, we play, while we go to the headlines and then we can maybe respond to it. I think he's asking the question is uh, why this particular drug is, is not accessible. I think you answered it, but I think we, well, I'll play it again for you when we come back. Okay. Let's 1.30. Let's go to Utsila Saku for the latest in headlines. Life happens with Pinelo Modine. All right, I'm going back to my conversation with Dr. Kerrigan McCarthy, who is a specialist pathologist at the National Institute for Communicable Diseases. Before we went to the headlines, we had a voice note. I'll play it now again for you, Dr. McCarthy, and then my sense is that he's asking about the drug and its accessibility. Let's just take a listen. Hi, Pimelo. It's Kamakarasi Outlem from Jinokana. Let me ask the doctor about the taxamizol. At the higher concentration and the lower concentration about the side effect and Airshore is 100% working and so where do they manufacture it and why other countries they manufacture it they refuse it but it came from UK there's a shining again about this taxamazon because it has a mixture of stereotype Dr. McCarthy do you want to respond to that? Um, I think he was asking, are we sure that, that it works? And where is it manufactured and how accessible is it? And he's also asking so, about the side effects as well. And the side effects, yeah. So um, the good news is that the side effects profile um, is minimal. Um, that um, There are very well-recognized and understood side effects from period administration, but by and large... Um, the uh, benefits outweigh the risk. So, in other words, mm. the risk profile is 
favorable. Mm. Uh, the drug is widely manufactured globally. Uh, I'm not a pharmacist, I'm, so I'm not really aware um, in the world of manufacturers, but I've no doubt that it is manufactured uh, locally, and so it is accessible. And then to answer the question, are we sure that it works? Um, the results are, are pretty convincing um, in the sense that uh, the, the, there was a significant uh, improvement, particularly if people had severe forms of COVID illness. Um, so the numbers speak for themselves. However, with all uh, clinical trials, uh, one trial is never enough. It's always good to uh, um, to have a variety of different uh, settings and contexts uh, and investigators and countries uh, where, where these trials uh, can be repeated so that there uh, can be consistency in the evidence. So uh, obviously we will await uh, these findings, um, but the results at the moment are very promising. And as I shared with you, um, steroids are very widely used uh, in, in clinical practice for a variety of conditions anyway. Mm. And so uh, I've no doubt that clinicians will start to use this drug in a more um, intentional way uh, yes. in South African practice with COVID. All right. Dr. Mbili is calling us from Bulukwani. Good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon, Pamela. Afternoon to afternoon. your guest. Good afternoon. Uh, if I could just quickly say happy birthday to my mom, who turned oh. 65 today. <laughs> happy birthday. What's her name? What's um, her name? Uh, can you feel Lembili? She's oh. in Pinto Oh, All the best to her. Thank you for Thank that. you. Uh, my question to your guest is, so I'm a neurosurgeon, and I use de- dexamethasone quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read a little bit about the critical care literature with regards to respiratory problems. My question is, um, does the doctor have any insight as to why it is these study investigators would have chosen dexamethasone mm. as the corticosteroid of choice? Mm. Um, and look, we're happy about the results, but you know, typically the steroids we use in ICU, particularly with pulmonary conditions, mm. tends to be things like hydrocortisone, methylprednisolone. Um, so, did they try those as well and find it didn't work, or did they only try dexamethasone? Uh, and if so, why dexamethasone? That seems to be typically reserved for neurological problems. Mm. I haven't seen too much about dexamethasone in pulmonary conditions. So does she have any thoughts there? Yeah. Dr. McCarthy? So uh, um, thanks for, for calling in. And uh, I have to confess up front because I'm speaking to another uh, doctor colleague mm. uh, that I'm a, a public health specialist and a microbiologist. So um, I don't prescribe drugs uh, routinely. So I can only give you an inkling as to the answer. Mm. Um, but if you want to call me afterwards, I can uh, refer you on to people to see the exact truth. Mm. Um, I suspect the reason um, is related to um, the the, uh, the nature of the trial and the kind of um, uh, patients that were being seen. Um, in the sense that uh, the trial was uh, a trial primarily aimed at looking at um, hospitalised and severe cases of COVID and used an intravenous formulation, from what I can understand, um, of dexamethasone. Um, and it may also have been related to the potency. Um, as you know, the various steroids have different uh, potent, potencies. Um, and and uh, so there may have been um, a, a good reason as to why dexamethasone uh, was chosen over and above the others. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, there will be... Um, uh, 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 Basically, all steroids contain or have a similar mechanism of action. Um, and so, uh, you know, the nuances of why one formulation was chosen over the other, uh, I'm not sure about. And then, uh, happy birthday to your mum. <laughs> 
Dr. Mbili, are you are you satisfied with that? Yeah, also, so, so, I mean, what, what I'm getting at is, you know, uh, if you look at ARDS, which the doctor mentioned earlier, yes. uh, probably one of the most difficult to treat pulmonary complications in ICU, yes. um, which presumably is what a lot of these patients with COVID get and then subsequently die of. Uh, the corticosteroids we tried there were methylprednisone, mm. hydrocortisone, and as far as I understand, we've never tried decadron. Yeah. Uh, sorry, so I'm just trying to figure out why the jump from all these others, if we haven't done that, and straight to dexamethasone, what, what yeah. possibly informed that decision. But yeah, I'm happy to thank you to for that. With her. Yeah, okay. no, we'll give you the, the details so, so that she can then afford you to the person that may have the exact answer. But let me also ask you a follow up question to what he's asking, Dr. McCarthy, in the sense that was it a targeted trial or was it just. It, it fell on their lap. In other words, was this something, an observation, or was it a trial? Does that does that answer the question? You know, do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so uh, this is a formal trial, ah. and the protocol for the trial was published um, in the peer-reviewed literature, which is now um, a standard way of doing a trial. It helps to eliminate bias, in the sense that uh, the, the trial procedures are are publicly available, individuals can uh, look them up. And then also it holds the, the manufacturers and the, uh, the, the analysts um, in, uh, accountable in terms of the way um, the, the data is managed and the, the results are published. The trial was called the recovery trial, and there were a number of study arms in the trial, um, uh, one of which was uh, using uh, chloroquine, which uh, the, uh, has subsequently been found to have uh, no benefit or value, and so the trial arm uh, was, was stopped. Um, there were also a number of other interventions um, in the trial uh, arm, um, but I won't go into detail of it. So it is a good question. If it was a trial, then that is definitely a good question. He'll um, will get you uh, the numbers, and then he'll uh, he'll come back to you. Let's just take some voice notes. Yeah. Hi, good day. It's Sylvan Kamda from Durban. Just a quick question to the doctor. Can the COVID-19 be passed through the human eye? Because our mouth and noses are protected with a face mask. What about our eyes? Because our eyes has got soft mucous membranes. Can the COVID-19 be passed through our, our eyes? Thank you. Hi, this is Harry. I'd just like to ask the doctor um, to finish what she was talking about, the the receptors, the angiotensin ACE2 receptors um, changing as a person gets older, which is the gateway where the um, the virus, which is a negative charge, I'm told, can lock onto these receptors. Um, and it needs to be, and the epithelial, if she could say something about the epithelial tissue um, and this whole um, positive-negative charge repelling the virus or attracting the virus. I don't know if that's too complicated for this subject. Thank you. Absolutely not. Dr. McCarthy? Okay. So, first question around transmission to eye. Uh, so, um, as I shared, um, the virus, and in fact all viruses or bacteria, before they infect or invade uh, individual cells, they need to attach. And each uh, virus or bacteria has a specific molecule that it attaches to. And in the case of this particular COVID virus, it attaches to the angiotensin converting enzyme molecule, which is found on this 
epithelial lining of mucous membranes. Now, the eyes have mucous membranes in them. So to answer your first question, yes, absolutely. If a droplet containing a COVID-19 virus or the SARS-CoV-2 virus lands in the eye, uh, one could acquire COVID infection. In the same way, um, if I hand has been infected and they've been rubbing their mouth and nose and they've got infected secretions on their hand, and then I go and rub my eyes, I could land up with an infection. So you'll find in uh, the literature on infection prevention and control uh, that people, people are advised, nurses and doctors who are getting close up to patients, um, are advised to wear visors or goggles as a way of protecting their, their mucous membrane. So a lot of people you'll see um, in, in the street are, are wearing visors in addition to masks. And other people, like, for example, in shopping centers uh, or banks, are standing behind perfect, which is also a very good way to prevent from landing. Um, to answer your second caller's question around the, uh, the angiotensin-diverting enzyme molecules that are found on the surface of the cell, changing as we get older, I can't tell you the mechanics of this because this is complicated molecular biology, mm. but what is known is that the concentration of these particles increase in our lungs as we get older mm-hmm. and also um, become more frequent if our lungs are damaged. And this information was known uh, for a long time after, or at least was discovered after the first SARS outbreak. It was the first SARS outbreak in 2003 or three. Um, uh, it was discovered using the same receptor. And so um, it was um, there was a lot of interest in trying to find out how this organism um, affects the human body um, and so, so the distribution of these uh, cells was discussed. All right. Um, so your, your listener mentioned positive and negative charges. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. In fact, I, I don't think that these are a factor. Um, positive and negative charges are, are simply properties of, of any molecule. Um, and, and may or may not play a role in the attachment process of, of the virus. All right. Andrew, you're calling from Midrand. Your question, please. Hi, thank you, Pamela, and a wonderful show as usual. Thank you. Um, hello there, uh, Dr. McCarthy. It's Andrew Peterson from Life Thank oh, you. Thank you. For... <laughs> hello, Andrew Peterson. <laughs> thank you for all the good work you did for us then and for what you're doing now to protect us from this terrible, terrible virus. Mm. Mm. Hello? Yes, we write from you. How, how can I answer your questions yes. today? Uh, the, uh, Doc, I just wanted to ask you in terms of the virulence, or virulence I think that's the right word, uh, yeah. the strength of the virus to survive on various surfaces. Is it yeah. true, and this is a conception mainly, I think that is uh, very popular around social media, that the virus can survive on clothes for quite a long period of time, and that every time you go out you and uh, to the shops and you come back, you need to actually wash your clothes immediately. Uh, if you can just maybe cast a bit of light on that, if you haven't done so yet. Mm. So thanks, Andrew. I mean, this is a, a, an interesting question. Um, so people have done studies looking at um, uh, different surfaces, and particularly, uh, for example, the environment, room, 
uh, where patients with COVID are, and they found that you can find viral RNA on different surfaces for varying lengths of time, for up to 79 days. But before you all panic, what is important about this test for uh, coronavirus RNA is that it's not able to tell whether the virus is able to replicate, in other words, if it's alive, or if the, the degenerated uh, viral material is just present and our test, which is very sensitive, is picking it up. Um, the correct test to do would be a test called viral culture, where we'd actually take um, uh, uh, wipe the, the surface and we would try and grow the organism, the virus. Now, culturing viruses is very laborious and time intensive. It's actually also dangerous because you can imagine this virus is mm. pathogenic. And um, so not many studies have been done where they've actually done culture on, on different surfaces. So while we know that you can find RNA for up to seven days, we don't know what that means in terms of the infectivity of surface. So all that to say that it is wise to be cautious around uh, the, the presence of virus on different surfaces such as clothes and the like, but also at the same time not excessively worried. We know that if uh, looking at our studies of the epidemiology of the disease, that this virus is primarily transmitted from person to person um, through, through, through direct contact, uh, through sharing uh, uh, homes and living spaces and to breathing the same air. And we know this because the respiratory tract is the predominant portal of entry into, uh, in, into the body. Um, and we know uh, up to 40% of people who, in fact even more, up to 70% of people who develop COVID infection know the person they got it from. So what that means is that casual contact uh, where, where viral transmission happens is, is uncommon. It's not the commonest mode of transmission. Now, if, if it was possible to transmit the virus on shopping groceries and on, on clothes, I think we would see an infinitely larger number of, of cases of, of COVID um, where people did not know the person that they transmitted from. So all that to say that it is appropriate to be cautious, yes. um, but not Paranoid. Um, excessively worried. It makes perfect sense to me. Doc, I believe you have to go. So thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. We'll touch base with you soon. And, and uh, all the best. And uh, look after yourself. Excellent. Thank you. Dr. Kerrigan McCarthy, the specialist pathologist at the National Institute for Communicable Diseases.